people who are emotional eaters, people who are grabbing sugar, who are working, they're not just grabbing it for energy, they're grabbing it to calm an emotion. So their focus is different. And to me, that's just so far from logic because you would think if a sugar is an addictive substance, if you would consume it, no matter why you're consuming it, you would become addicted. Yet we see that that's not true. So it's not the substance that is the addiction, it's the mindset behind the substance. Why are you consuming it? And I work in a psychiatric emergency room. We get a lot of drug addicts who are addicted to heroin, cocaine, marijuana. How come those items, well, marijuana, I'm not going to get into because there are there is medical marijuana, but how come cocaine and heroin are all addictive? Because there is nobody who's, who's using those substances for any medical purpose. It's all for a high. It's all for a calming. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. I am a cardiothoracic surgery PA with a background in public health and neuroscience. I'm also your peak performance coach. I had to say no to working extreme long hours where I was always on call and feeling exhausted, underappreciated, and undervalued, and said, heck yes, to a life and career that elevates my energy and passion without compromising my health and sanity. Now, I'm on the mission to support ambitious healthcare professional like you with a demanding career to become a confident leader who are living purposefully and fulfilled to truly be both a powerhouse in your career and a passionate person in life. Let's start our journey today. Hello, everyone. I'm Sabrina, your host for the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. Thanks for listening in. And today we have the honor of having Ellen with us. And he is a nurse and he is a health coach, especially focusing on sugar craving. And I know sometimes we all stress and we eat and things like sugar is such a good idea. So Ellen has been able to maintain 115-pound weight loss for 16 years and have discovered the solution to long-term weight maintenance management. And that's so awesome record that you set, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you awesome. for asking me. Yeah. So today we are talking about sugar craving and what does that really change in us? How come we are craving for sugar and what can we do better? And to start, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how did you get to that point that you really be able to keep off 115 pounds? That's a great question. And very briefly, just going to tell my story. It'll take about three to four minutes, if I may, if you'll indulge me with that and what got me to this point. And I get myself back to uh, ninth grade, a freshman in high school, where I was in a class of 27 students. And one day my social studies teacher comes out and says, class, I would love to take you out on a field trip today. He said, I would take you in my car, but Alan's here and there's not enough room. And I was absolutely devastated. And on that day became apparent to me five deep-seated beliefs about myself. Number one, I'm a mistake. I don't belong in this world. Number two, I'm unwanted. Number three, 
I'm unaccepted and unloved. Number four, I take up way too much space. And I think the worst one is number five, that I feel very different than everybody else. And those five deep-seated beliefs plagued me for the next 30 years until I reached a top weight of 312 pounds, taking nine anti-diabetic medications daily, still unable to maintain normal blood sugar levels. Obviously, I'm a type 2 diabetic. And I tried many weight loss programs. I tried all the fads. I tried Atkins. I tried Weight Watchers. I tried Herbalife. And I did lose some weight over the time. I tried diet pills. I, I really tried it all, but the inevitable always happened. And I gained my weight back. And I basically gave up. And I figured this is my fate. I'm going to be obese my entire life because that had been my experience. And till one day, I found this program and they taught me how to lose weight. And I lost 115 pounds. And I said to myself, I am going to learn how to keep it off. I never lost that amount of weight in one time. And they really didn't teach me how to keep it off. But I went and did research. I became a nurse. And I wrote a book about diabetes. And I did a lot of research. I interviewed skinny people. I interviewed overweight people. And I really, in the last 16 years, have discovered the solution to what it takes to maintain long-term weight maintenance, how to keep your weight off effortlessly. And today, I have to say that the 30 years of struggles, I learned more than actually the 16 years of success. Because when people come to me, my clients, and they talk to me, and you can look me up at keepthosepoundsoff.com, those people who come to me, there's almost nothing that they've experienced that I have not experienced myself. And what I teach is something that I still do. But I have to say that maintaining goal weight for me is effortlessly. And I have transformed what I call from a skinny mind to a fat mind, which I'm not going to get into today. We're going to talk specifically about sugar cravings because that's what Sabrina has decided to talk about today. So my question is, Sabrina, and like we spoke about just a few minutes ago about Sports. I've, I've learned to learn a lot from sports. And actually, this whole concept of sugar cravings, I learned now during COVID because I contracted COVID from a patient. I'm glad I did not have a huge viral load. I had a mild case and I was craving sugar because I was tired. I had a lot of fatigue was, was my main symptom. And then I gained a few pounds. I gained about five, seven pounds during the month. And it took me about six weeks until I actually got back to myself. And I wasn't concerned because in the next three weeks or so, I lost the excess weight that I had gained. But the most interesting thing was that I did not become addicted to sugar, even though I was craving carbohydrates because I needed the energy. And it really opened up a whole new concept for me about sugar cravings. And I look at athletes. And I answer the question is, how come athletes who consume far more sugar than the overeater, than the compulsive eater, than the emotional eater, yet they don't get addicted to sugar? How come after a game, they're not running for Reese's and they're not running for M&M's and they're not to hurt any of the companies. That's not my point, but they're not running after cake. How come they're not running after carbohydrates and sugar when they've consumed so much? They eat a lot of complex carbs before their competition. And then during the game, whether it's football, hockey, tennis, cycling, triathlons, whatever it is, they're all eating complex carbs to maintain that energy. They're drinking uh, copious amounts of Gatorade, which have a very high, very intense amount of sugar. 
yet when they're not training, they're not addicted. Now, I'm not talking about the weight gain because of the enormous exercise that they do. We're not talking about the weight gain, but I'm just curious why don't they become addicted to sugar if on the off season when they're not training? And the reason is, is because the substance is not the problem. People think that when they want to reduce sugar cravings, they have to stop eating sugar. That is not the problem. The reason why athletes don't become addicted to sugar is because they're eating sugar for energy. Even though they know that it's only a temporary fill and they're going to crash after they finish, but that's all they need. They only need a temporary surge of energy for the next two, three hours. It increases their emotional state, it increases their focus, and they can really focus on their competition for those few hours that they need it. And then they crash and they're okay with that because that's what sugar does. It's a stimulant. But the substance that they are consuming is specifically guided to increase their energy. People who are emotional eaters, people who are grabbing sugar, who are working, they're not just grabbing it for energy. They're grabbing it to calm an emotion. So their focus is different. And to me, that's just so far from logic. Because you would think if a sugar is an addictive substance, if you would consume it, no matter why you're consuming it, you would become addicted. Yet we see that that's not true. So it's not the substance that is the addiction. It's the mindset behind the substance. Why are you consuming it? And I work in a psychiatric emergency room. We get a lot of drug addicts who are addicted to heroin, cocaine, marijuana. How come those items, well, marijuana, I'm not going to get into because there are there is medical marijuana, but how come cocaine and heroin are all addictive? Because there is nobody who's, who's using those substances for any medical purpose. It's all for a high. It's all for a calming of an anxiety, for calming a fear. And therefore, the entire agenda is surrounded around that high. So that's why it's highly addictive. However, analgesics, painkillers like Percocets and Oxycodones and Vicodin, if you're just using it to relieve your pain, you're not going to become addictive. But the moment you start using it to calm an emotion, that's when you're going to start getting addictive. So it's really about the mindset, not the substance. And to me, this was a huge eye-opener. And the more I researched the more I realize how true it is. And, and I believe that's a real eye-opener for people who are saying, oh my gosh, I got to sleep eating sugar. That's not what you need to work on in order to reduce your sugar cravings. What you need to focus on is what is going on that you are grabbing the sugar. Is it just that you need some energy because you're working a night shift and you're overly stressed? So what can you do in order to do some self-care so that you're not grabbing the sugar when you're anxious. Because everybody grabs something, Sabrina. Some people grab their phone when they're anxious. Some people grab work. They start to get hypervigilant with their work. Some people grab food. Some people grab sugar. We all grab something when we're anxious. And I believe, and this is what's worked for me, keeping the weight off for 16 years, is that self-care has to come all the time. And the one thing I want to leave, because I do like to leave with practical, practical solutions. And we spoke about it before. What is the one thing you can control in any situation, no matter what it is, and whether you're working in the ICU, whether you're working in the emergency room like myself, 
whether you're just working in an outpatient clinic and you have some annoying coworkers who are very stressed, you know, you have a stressful environment, whatever it is, the one thing you can control, you can't control other people's behaviors. And everybody says, of course I can't control. I said, well, why are you getting upset how somebody else's behaves? So you're obviously trying to control their behavior if you're getting upset how they behave. The one thing you can control at any time, because you can't even always control your own behaviors, is your attitude. That you can control anytime and you can press the reset button 24-7. So if you're in an, an anxious moment, you can stop for a moment. Just stop for a moment, pause for a moment, say, hey, what's going on? What am I anxious about? And more nine times out of 10, it's out of the fear. And fear is never about the current moment. It's always about the future. It's either going to get something, not going to get something that I want, or I'm afraid I'm going to lose something that I have. It's never about the current moment. But if you just say, you know what? I'm grateful. I'm a nurse. I'm a healthcare professional. I went to school. I help people. How wonderful is that? I am blessed. And for those of you who have families, I have a place to live. I deal with a lot with homeless people. We have so much going for us. And instead of focusing on what we don't have and the negativity, we can focus on what we do have. And anybody who's listening to this, in my opinion, has good problems. Good problems is that you're trying to better yourself. That's a blessing. That's not a burden. I'm trying to better myself. I'm trying to change myself. I am better. I am trying to get better. I'm better than I was. And one last thing I'm going to leave you with is something that I use that when somebody does something and it upsets me, I use the word idiot. You ever have a coworker, Sabrina, who says, oh my gosh, what an idiot, right? (laughs) What were they thinking? Why did they do that? So I take the word idiot and I make an acronym and I say, I did it once too. I-D-I-O-T. I did it once too. Whatever I'm upset that somebody else is doing, I've done it once already. Otherwise, I wouldn't notice that they did it. And when I did it, they were tolerant of me. So you know something? Today, I can be tolerant of you. You're having a rough day. It's okay. I don't take it personally. You're having a rough. I don't need to get into a confrontation. I did it once too. Thank you for being tolerant of me yesterday when I was an idiot. I can be tolerant of you today. And again, that comes back to attitude. And when I change my attitude and I press the reset button, I have a calming effect and I can focus on the task at hand of caring for others, getting along with my coworkers, and my day can finish in a beautiful way. And I can leave and say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. I had a wonderful day. Yeah. It was busy. It's okay. I have busy days. I'm not complaining. I'm grateful and I can move on. And to me, this has been a such a huge help, not just in reducing sugar cravings, but in maintaining my weight loss. That's awesome, Alan. Thanks for sharing. I wanted to point out a few things. Number one, yes, you can change your attitude, but before you change your attitude, it's actually to prevent yourself getting into these sucky situation. It's actually identifying all these triggers that you have in life. We all have these tendencies and sabotagers. As you guys have heard me talking about, there are nine different sabotagers that we experience in life. Some of us have all nine, some are just a few, and that's okay. When we're able to identify these sabotaging tendencies, then we recognize them faster. Maybe we can't get rid of them all the time, But then we can, as what Ellen says, you recognize it, you stop realizing 
how was this situation got triggered, then you can pivot your thinking. A lot of time we are going to have a difficult time just to stop and change attitude. It sounds great and we can do it, but it's difficult. And now how we do that is pivoting by doing these exercises. And I show people on these two minutes energy restore exercise is because we know just tell ourselves, be calm, don't be mad. Uh, I know everyone is 100, not 100% right, but at least they're right 10% of time. You can say <laughs> that, but well, in the heat of moment, it's going to be very difficult to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great concept and we can get there with practice. What oh, yeah. we're trying to say is that exercise makes things better. We can prevent ourselves from getting into that state by identifying these triggers. Your trigger might be different from others. These triggers can be from 10, 20 years ago even, from the experience, the story that we have been telling ourselves a long, long time ago. It may not have anything to do with the person who triggered the emotion, that upsetness. And yes, fear is one way that we feel like we might get stuck into that situation again. So your self-defensive comes up and you stop thinking at all, you just reacting. And instead of respectfully feel like, okay, I might not agree with the situation, I might be upset with the situation, but the other person can still be right, can still have the same experience as how I felt it in a way. For that reason, yes, we needed to have some kind of separation. Another good point Alan brought up is when you leave your work, before you go to home, there need to be some kind of separation. I know people have been telling me and you guys have said, well, I have a great support system. I talk to my coworker, I talk to my family, and they're the one I can offload this stress. That's wonderful. But if you continue to do that repeatedly, you are sending out this negative vibration. And when people are so empathetic, they start feeling the weight that you're giving to them. And how would you make them feel when they start going down the path as you do? And that's why it's so crucial to have coaches or have other healthcare professionals who specialize in this area and to wait to offload these <laughs> energies. Well, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Sabrina. I've, I've noticed, you know, happiness is contagious. Negativity is also contagious. And as I did this work, and yes, you are 100% correct, I was just talking about in the crisis, in the moment, what you can do. But obviously, it, we're talking about a lot of self-care prior to, yes, it's, it's work. It's a work in progress. I'm just talking about in the moment of the crisis, what do you do? What are you going to do there, you know, to stop for a moment? Sometimes it's go to the bathroom. You know, I need a moment. You know, but I've seen nurses who walk into their unit, I'm sure you've experienced this, who walk in that they're on a seven in their anxiety level from zero to 10. They walk into work on a seven. And obviously you need to walk into work as a two or three or a one. If you do that, the chances of you getting into a confrontation, there are situations that are not your fault that happen, but you're going to be able to react differently if you do a lot of self-care, like you're talking about all that identifying. 100%, I can't agree with you more. It takes a lot of work prior to coming to your job and leaving your job. But what I notice is that I was complaining, I would leave my job and if I had a stressful night, 
I felt that I needed some validation. I needed somebody to tell me, oh, you poor thing, Alan, you had a rough night. And the truth is nobody really cares. <laughs> I mean, they really don't. And I realized, I said, you know what? I'm complaining. We're so careful on the words that we tell our peers, you know, the Black Lives Matter, and before that, the Me Too movement, all great movements. And what are they all talking about? Respect. So we're so careful on the words that we talk to another person. And obviously, I'm not talking about the extreme about actually killing people or sexually harassing, but even on a lesser level, just respect for the fact that they are human. That's, that's the basic concept here. And we want to be spoken to with respect. Well, why don't we use that same tendencies towards ourselves? Why don't we speak to ourselves with respect? We are so critical of ourselves and we would never say these words to somebody else or we would never want somebody to say them to ourselves, to us. And I realized when I would leave my job, I'd say, oh my gosh, I had a horrible night. I want to tell people, I'm just complaining. I don't need that validation. I can just, and I've stopped saying it. And when I, because it creates, like you said so beautifully, creates a negative aura. And I just say, somebody says, how was your night? I said, it was fine. It was good. It was busy. It was good. End of it. End of story. And it really makes such a difference. Like you say, the stories that we tell ourselves, that negative self-talk. Self-talk has as much power in words as our conversations with, with other people. So the important thing, obviously, like you're saying, Sabrina, it's not just in the moment. It has to come from prior to, and there has to be that, that self-care. And like I said, you know, walking into a, your work, you're walking into your shift. And if you're at a level seven from zero to 10 in anxiety, obviously the likelihood of you having a calm shift are not going to be very great. And it's going to be very difficult for you to be compassionate and to be therapeutic, not just with your patients, but with your peers. And like you so beautifully said, how many times do we get upset at somebody else? And it really has very little or nothing to do with what that person, you know, the trigger came from something else. And like you said, the stories that we tell ourselves, that's huge because we're so careful about the words that we speak among ourselves to each other. And we want to be spoken with respect and we speak to others with respect. And I have found that it's so important that we have to use that same concept on the words that we tell ourselves. We are just not careful with the words we tell ourselves. And like I was saying, like if I would leave my unit and I would have a horrible shift, I don't know why I felt that I needed this validation to complain to somebody about this horrible event that happened at work. And what I found is all I'm really doing is just complaining and I'm just growing negativity around me, creating this aura of negativity when it was okay. I mean, that's how nursing is, you know, that's how healthcare is. Sometimes you have an easy shift. Sometimes you have a more difficult shift. Yeah, that is so true. And I think uh, something to point out is that there are a lot of support group out there. However, what's been missing in most of these support group, they're just stabbing at the problem more and more. People start chiming in. Oh, this happened to me. That happened to me. But people are not offering solution. Or when you offer a solution, it seems like, oh, who are you? And that shouldn't, that's not support. Well, that is actually the ultimate of support. Support is not allowing people to get dragged down to the basement. It's not to beat yourself up. You're bleeding and you still feel like that's okay. And that's just the way. And you're just complaining about the fact of your complaining instead yeah. of looking for a solution to go to the next 100%. level. 
And what Ellen also mentioned, yes, these sugar craving, it's just a way for us to feel better. Feeling like this method of sweetness that we taste in our mouth, maybe we can stop thinking about these things that has been troubling us for that shift. Or you give yourself the excuse that I was mad because this patient care didn't turn out well, but that's still a sabotaging behavior that you put onto yourself. So we do need to reflect more on how we see ourselves and how life are puzzled together. So for every speaker, I do ask them to self-reflect by taking a holistic life assessment, find out what is the really number one killer in creating that harmony, that satisfying life that we all deserve to have. So I shared the result with Alan beforehand quickly that he is really good at spirituality, knowing himself and his life mission. And we already heard his passion in helping people with being fit and keep off this pounds. So you have a vessel of physical health. And what he might want to tap more into is that social life aspect and potentially also the personal character, personal idea aspect. So Alan, when you saw the result, anything surprising to you? Anything you would do more or less? You know, there's an old saying, if you don't grow, don't fix. I'm always open to new things. I was not surprised by the self-assessment tool and by the results. And I, and I love that, that you have, Sabrina. I can always do better. Uh, no question about it. And I'm always open to hear, you know, you spoke about the nine sabotage tools and all these things. And I, I don't talk or teach with my clients anything that I'm not currently doing myself. So I'm constantly doing it. You know, somebody asked me, oh, what do you think about this and this? And they said, you can, if you want my opinion, I'll give you my opinion, but that's not my expertise. I only really focus on what I do because that's my passion. That's what I have. And that's what I continue to do. So I continue to focus on what I'm doing. I continue to get better. I'm always looking for ways to improve myself. Absolutely. And there are people that trigger me and I question myself, why? Why Why is this particular person pressing my buttons? What is going on? I know it's not them, you know? And I say, wow, that's just my God telling me that there's something that I need to, to work on and something to get deeper in because life is so beautiful that it's not like, okay, I've achieved and I'm done. The beautiful thing is that we continue to grow. If we didn't need to grow, we would be born middle-aged and that's how we would live our life and die. No, we're born as babies and we die as elderly in a normal course of life because the whole purpose of life is to constantly grow. So I'm constantly growing. I'm constantly learning new things. I learned stuff, things from you today, Sabrina, about that self-sabotage and, you know, and all that stuff. I just continue doing what I'm doing and just keep telling myself that you're okay. And I have this thing that I poster that I, that I printed out. It says over here, just because it's taking time doesn't mean it's not happening. So and I'm going to show it to my clients. I think it's great. Because I know I get frustrated sometimes when things aren't moving quick enough for me. So I need to learn more patience. And that's really something that I'm focusing on is patience. 
Thank you so much for sharing that true self of yours. I think all of us, despite how much expert we are in this one area, we can always learn from other people because when we put our minds together, we compound and grow into something that's beautiful, that's exponentially growth. And I love that poster of yours. And I know that many people would definitely want to connect with you to see more of how to do what you do. So how could people find you? The keepthosepoundsoff.com is my website. Keepthosepoundsoff at Gmail is my email. I do have an online program of my weight loss. If you want, I have a free, yes, free video that I put together of my 10 ninja weight loss tips. It's absolutely free. All you need to do is just email me and just put in the subject Sabrina, and I'll be more than happy to send you my free 10 ninja weight loss tips. Or you can get me online at keepthosepoundsoff.com where you can have, we have our 13 week weight loss program, an online program, or we do one-to-one or group coaching. Again, keepthosepoundsoff.com or email me at keepthosepoundsoff at gmail.com. Perfect. Everyone, we will have everything in the show notes. So even you didn't have time to write these down, it will be okay. You can still find Alan on the show notes and on my website. Thank you for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with other people. And we would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave a review on Apple Podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. All right, my friend. How did you love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to our show so you can continue to build your positive intelligence for that beautiful mind of yours to live powerfully and passionate. I know this just the tip of the iceberg. You probably have a lot more questions on actually how do I implement those things into my own life? Well, this is the solution. Joining us inside the private Facebook group, go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Powerful Passionate, where I go live weekly to answer any questions that you have and continue to put more resources for you to help you to get to that point. You can be both powerful and passionate where you're no longer working on any mundane work and truly focusing on the things that matter. You can be both powerful and passionate where you can overcome any mental roadblocks keeping you from success. You can be both powerful and passionate where you feel energized from the moment you woke up to the time you go to bed. Join me and together we can create a life where you can be both powerful and passionate.